The Start. On Demand. On Demand. Justin Trudeau in hot water again as Canada's Ethics Commissioner says the Prime Minister breached the Conflict of Interest Act during the SNC-Lavalin affair. So we will speak with the founding director of the Centre for Professional and Applied Ethics at the U of M. Back to school coming up. Why get a new computer for your kids when you can just take an old one and get it rebuilt and upgraded for cheap? And Mike Tyson spends $40,000 a month on what? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling, and a vacationing Loren McNabb. She's off again. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Thursday, August 15th podcast for The Start. Mackling and McGarry, lo and behold, McNabb is off again. Boy, that uh, lasted long. Yeah. I, I w- would like to get uh, her holiday sign-on package. Uh, I just started over here last year. It's already got like 19 25 weeks. weeks of holidays. <laughs> in all fairness, I think she carried a bunch of those over from her days in television. Yeah. So we're giving Loren a little bit of a hard time in her absence. We We always miss her when she's not here. So, Loren, go back to bed. I woke up. You know how you'll wake up before your alarm? Yep. Lots of times it'll be a couple hours before, because let's be honest, many of us, whether it's you or I or lots of our listeners, do not sleep through the night. Mm-hmm. We all have lots of things on our mind, and we'll, we'll wake up in the middle of the night, and it's always nice when you wake up and you go, oh, I still got two hours to sleep. Yeah, no, today was seven minutes before my alarm. I'm like, are you kidding me? That's no fun. So I just got up. Yeah, it happens every so often where I'll wake up one minute before my alarm goes off. And then I just end up snoozing. So instead, (laughs) like had I, sometimes I'll I'll actually just get up when my alarm goes off. But if I do happen to wake up just before the alarm is set to go off, then I almost stay in bed just out of spite. Like I'm somehow giving sleep the what for. <laughs> this inanimate object that you simply cannot have a confrontation with. Yeah. It's a battle against yourself. That's right. Like, <laughs> there well, are yeah, no winners. You're going to wake me up early? Well, I'm going to stay in bed late and then... I'll which fix is gonna you. Have, I'll, I'll, then I'll have a detrimental effect on my day because it'll be a little bit later for work and I'll be flustered and behind and uh, yeah, problems... Not solved. So I feel your pain, Greg. I I feel bad for you, and I I also admit, and it, it probably isn't helping that we're we're back indoors today. I think you're right. It was it was quite invigorating being outside. It was refreshing. It was nice. We had the nice scenery, and now you can't even see out the window again. No, I'm looking at a concrete wall. It's so lovely. <laughs> well, it's not concrete. Well, at least. Yeah, I guess at the on exterior. the other side of the window. Yeah. That's all I see. I see. Oh yes, I see. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah yep. There's a, just looking out the window. He's looking at the the wall of the other building. Yeah, it's it's yeah. a lovely view. You would not pay extra for this view at the hotel. 
let's put it this way. That yeah. would be definitely a non-view room. Yesterday, we had all four party leaders, provincial party leaders, join us at some point in our broadcast. So, hey, thanks to everyone behind the scenes that made that broadcast possible. Uh, we just sort of show up, do our thing, and and get out of the way for the next show, which in uh, our case yesterday was Kathy Kennedy filling in for Jeff Courier, and it ran super smooth. So to everybody back here, Jeff Forche and all the folks behind the scenes at uh, Mike uh, Mike Geisen and uh, all the other engineers and, and camera people, because this was a joint venture between us and global television as well. It uh, went seamlessly as far as we could tell, except for I think we had one interview where our audio quality was cutting in and out. I think that was uh, seven o'clock hour yesterday. Yeah, there was some something wrong with our signal, so we got a whole bunch of text messages saying, you guys are cutting out what's happening. So uh, apologies for that. And as well, thanks to uh, Sophia Schmidt from our promotions team who was on hand to help out with social media because there was a lot going on yesterday, so it was tough to, to try to do all that stuff as well. And I, thanks to Miss Christine's Kitchen to stop by with that amazing Jamaican wasn't food. Wasn't it unbelievable? Now, were you telling me afterwards, I read your text message and I couldn't stop laughing, she didn't realize we were on the radio. No, she didn't. Um, <laughs> she just thought she was coming to hang out with us and I think she, chit chat. I, I think yeah, I think she thought we were just we were just we're, we're just having an interview. Uh, she didn't quite know that we were on the radio. Uh, so, which I think is even cooler because she was just so relaxed. She showed no up with the question. food. The food was amazing, and she was a firecracker. So we recommend strongly that you either go to the audio vault at cjob.com and check at nine forty-five. We talked to her, or you can subscribe to the Start Podcast and have a listen there because she was an amazing character, and uh, it's a really she's got a great story. So, looking forward to when her restaurant opens next week in the Chalet Hotel, which she reminded was very quick, <laughs> very to adamant. Out. It is not in the Peeler Bar, <laughs> not in teasers, <laughs> and this is a, a step for her to to create a permanent location on Ellis Avenue. Uh, she told me she's going to be living upstairs in this building and have her restaurant downstairs. That's what pure entrepreneurs do. They do whatever it takes to get their business off the ground. And so, Miss Christine, if you're listening at this early hour, uh, hats off to you. Do you think the Prime Minister got much sleep last night? Probably not. I would imagine he doesn't get a lot of sleep most days, I would think, because it's just one thing after another. Well, I guess uh, most of us know by now what came down yesterday, uh, this report that uh, says, hey, you weren't above board. You weren't exactly telling the truth about what was going on with SNC-Lavalin. And uh, we'll recap what happened for you on the other side of a break. Do you remember, Greg Mackling, the song from... The Fresh Prince, you know, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. If it took me, I was going to say the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, but I forgot what they were actually called when they were a musical act. I think I can beat Mike Tyson. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great tune. Well, I, I don't think I could beat Mike Tyson in the ring, <laughs> and I certainly can't beat him for his uh, spending habits. Or, he used to beat him on Punch Out, though. I can, and I still can beat him on Mike Tyson's Punch Out. If you can survive the first ninety seconds of round one, then you have a you stand a chance. How about 90 seconds in a room with him doing what he's been spending 40K a month on? 
I suspect you would probably get high just being in his presence. What is going on with Mike Tyson? He says he is spending 40k a month on pot. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I can't believe that. Well, uh, one of our listeners is doing the math, and I won't out this person because obviously you got to know a little bit about how this stuff is consumed, although it's legal in Canada. I guess it doesn't really matter. Uh, the point is uh, he's got to be sharing a lot of it with That's his friends. That's what I was thinking. There's got to be a party going oh, on. Oh, there's a big party going on. I would suggest he's been hitting the head so many times that it takes that much pot to have an effect <laughs> on him at this point. That's an interesting way of looking at it, Jeff Braun. Well, yeah, because he's got this ranch where he sells $500,000 of marijuana each month. And I saw one headline uh, that said uh, Mike Tyson and his buddies burn through. Yeah, he and his pals smoke about $40,000 every month. But still, they're smoking $40,000 of marijuana per month. Well, you have to get out there and and brand the uh, the product, don't you? I... I guess so. Like, would it, would that be the same thing as going to a winery for a tasting? <laughs> <laughs> you like to do that, Kelly. Oh, yeah. So yeah. would that be your answer, $40,000 a month on wine? Well, no, my liver couldn't handle it. But, well, you uh, could share I, with I, I your wanna, co-workers. I, you know, honestly, if I had $40,000 of disposable cash on a monthly basis. Don't be practical here, Kelly. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> well, okay. How's this thing? Can, can I at least be finish your thought? Philanthropic. I, Absolutely. I would, I would give it to charity. Oh, you're so sweet. Yeah. If I had that, yeah. Especially for kids. Yep. Well, if you wanted to, like you said, your liver couldn't handle it. But what if instead you bought a very expensive bottle of wine? Ooh, on a, a forty thousand dollar bottle. I bet you they have them. Johnny the Depp. Lick- yeah, he used to spend ten grand on a bottle. I think. Yeah, like the liquor mart oh, over on Grant has, has has bottles of alcohol that are in the. <laughs> Thousands of dollars. Oh, Oh, well, then, you know what? We're back on. Because, you know, a bottle of wine a day, (laughs) it's like an apple. (laughs) Jeff, Brian, what would you spend the money on? I think I'd just follow uh, Bruce on tour. Just go town to town with Springsteen until he stops going from town to town. I love that. Okay. And he he does a different show every night, so it's not the same concert. Chateau Latif? Lafitte, Chateau Lafitte, eighteen sixty nine, two hundred thirty thousand dollars for a bottle. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Wow! How about that? Yeah, we'll save like up that. for a few months. <laughs> <laughs> the most expensive wine the Liquor Mart has on its website is something called Graham's N E Oubli, eighteen eighty two Tawny Port, and that's uh, eleven thousand five hundred dollars yeah. for a single Not a bottle port of wine. Yeah. Tastes no. like baby no. duck. <laughs> so how would you do, how would you do this traveling around to, to follow Springsteen? Because I don't know because I don't have first, the money, so I've first because <laughs> I've thought about this and uh, yeah, in um, a limo. I, I've told my buddy Johnny if we ever win the big whoever win the big lottery, I'm going to MCI and I'm getting a custom motor coach and we are going to sport games like. All over North America, oh, yeah. six, seven months of every year. Would just, you hire a driver? Oh, of course. Because automatically I've just got the anxiety of like trying to park no, no, that no, no, thing. No, 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 no. We are hiring a driver and we are going everywhere to all the all the dream locations for baseball, hockey, football. Nice. So that, that'd that's, be what, the I, life. that's yeah. what I would be doing. 
Yeah. Smart. What about uh, what do you what did Me, you say for it, Tay? Well, you know, I, at first I couldn't think of anything. I was like, maybe pie, maybe forty grand. I was like, you know, what? I'm not gonna be able to get get off the couch. I'll be way too fat. Um, the Chateau Lafitte <laughs> 1886 apple pie is remarkable. <laughs> so, you know, maybe I'll take my friends on vacation once a month for a weekend and we just go crazy. That's a great idea. Oh. Yeah, like it's not inconceivable. And then now that listening to Jeff talk about going to see Springsteen and Greg, you with wanting to go on your sports adventures, I would, I guess I, I could probably do it in go golfing. Golf. <laughs> I knew it. Yeah. Yes. I could go golfing. But uh, and I would also. You'd have to tip the caddy pretty uh, pretty heavily to burn through that forty grand, but I I have every confidence, hit man, you could do it. Well, and I think it would be the travel expenses too that would be associated with that. Like if I wanted to go to say Fairmont Springs in Banff, they've got that resort that's like a thousand dollars a night. There Pebble Beach, come on, Pebble Beach, Old Pebble Beach, hey, Sawgrass, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, hey, I want to see Tory Canadian course too, Augusta. Oh, well, I, I can't get on there anyway, right? I couldn't even buy my way on there, I doubt. So, well, hey, let us know. 204-780-6868. How much did uh, Jay Peterman spend on that piece of cake of uh, of JFK's? Yeah, that was a lot. I can't remember. Was Several couple, thousands. Was it, it was 10,000 or something, something like, like that, that for yeah. one piece of cake? <laughs> and, of course, Elaine. Was it Elaine that ate it? It was Elaine that ate it. Greg says, what would I spend 40K a month on? Cadillacs, one of every year and color add to the fleet. Nice. Yeah, if you're a car collector, you could easily do that. And an airplane hangar to house them. Backling and McGarry. McNabb is away. Who remembers this? Hello, Marushka. This is Hunky Bill, the bagnac who made pierogies famous. And with this, Hunky Bill's little pierogi maker, I'm going to show you how to make pierogies at home. Quick and easy. Simply roll out your dough, spread a layer over the pierogi maker, spoon on your favorite topping, add the top layer of dough, roll it down, trim off the excess, and pop out your pierogies. Boil them and serve. Hunky Bill's little pierogi maker also makes wonton, ravioli, and pastries. Available at these fine stores and makes a great gift. Yeah, a couple of unkind words there. (laughs) For himself. Yes. A lot of people did not like the idea that Hunky Bill called him that, uh, called himself that. But anyway, we'll move on from that part of the discussion. That's a version of that commercial that was on Winnipeg TV for a long time. And in fact, in that, in that recording, it scrolls across the bottom and it invites people to Kernhill Furniture Co-op for live demonstration nice. coming up the following weekend. So he's a Winnipegger who became nationally known for this contraption, which I suspect was either loved or loathed by pierogi makers everywhere. The traditionalists probably didn't like it I'm sure. very much. Bill Connick died peacefully Tuesday night at the age of 88. Hunky Bill moved to Vancouver and became an institution at the PNE. That's the Pacific National Exhibition. Connick told Global News back in 2016 he had served more than, get this, Brett, 200 tons of pierogies over his career. Global News, BC, and broadcast legend in that market, Squire Jones, helps us celebrate the life of Hunky Bill. It's a sad day, absolutely, but, uh, you know, Dad always said the show must go on. See them how they're getting nice and golden brown there? We'll go through four tons of pierogies in the 15 days. And Hunky Bill was a showman. His pierogi stand has been a fixture at the PE since 1966. Over easy up. 
But he only got into the food business because his boys liked the sausages from his hometown of Winnipeg better than the ones in Vancouver. I bought hot dog, the winner. Uh, one kid uh, bought, uh, bit it, spit it out. Second one did the same thing. He said, you try it, Dad. So I tried it. I spit it out. Yeah. It's going to be sad to be without my grandpa. You know, he's always a presence around. Always go, still doing things even though he's 88. Working hard to the last minute, right? Yeah. 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 But, you know, he's here in spirit. Well, we can feel him in the booth, so it'll be, it'll be different, but it'll be good. When Bill started at the PE, not a lot of people knew what a pierogi was. So the salesman side of him went in the high gear. A pierogi is a crescent-shaped type of dumpling filled with a seasoned blend of potato and cheddar cheese, wrapped in a light dough similar to a crepe, fried till it's golden brown, served with or without a topping of sour cream. And sour cream is Ukrainian ice cream. He came up with this quip. If the colonel knew about chicken, what Hunky Bill knows about pierogies, he would have been a general. <laughs> He really was one of the iconic uh, personalities at this fair in this city and really across Canada in the restaurant scene. He was a trailblazer and he just, he had a great zest for life. Another happy customer. Again, we win. <laughs> Celebrating Bill Connick, uh, Hunky Bill, another Winnipeg who did awesome things beyond the perimeter highway. And uh, 780-6868, if you can think of anybody else that... You know, sort of iconic, but we don't realize they're from Winnipeg that deserves some kudos. Let's do that today if we can. Greg Mackling, why don't you first introduce our guest? Well, our guest needs no introduction, so we'll just bring him on. Bob Irving, voice in the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, gets things underway 5.30 this afternoon, pre-game coverage, 7.30 kickoff, and then the post-game show goes to the wee hours of the morning, doesn't it, Bob? <laughs> It could. Uh, with the forecast tonight, it's funny, they're talking about thunder showers, and I was thinking back to that game last weekend with Saskatchewan and Montreal that got called, and then to the bomber season opener last year that lasted until 1.30 in the morning, and, uh, you know, if we get thunder showers tonight, who knows? Well, we know that the game technically shouldn't be delayed more than 59 minutes and 59 right. seconds, right, Bob? Uh, we know that, but we don't like it. Let's hope. <laughs> Let's hope we don't get another one of those, Greg. <laughs> Couldn't agree with you more. Let's hope we maybe get more of the same from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. But on which front, uh, which, which part of the game would you like to transpose from last Thursday's win against Calgary to tonight's game against BC? I guess the, the best part of the game was the return game from Janarian Grant. We'd like that every single game, or at least the Bombers would. Well, if he could do that every night, I don't think they'd ever lose a game. He had two kick return touchdowns. I asked him, and you'll you'll hear him on our pregame show, I asked him, what are you going to do for an encore? And he just kind of laughed, and he said, well, I'm going to catch the ball and see what I can do. Uh, you know, the kick return game was sensational last weekend, and uh, the Bombers have a much better special teams unit than the BC Lions do, certainly based on stats through the first eight games of the year. So that's an area where they should have a significant edge. I know what the fans want to see. They want to see more passing yards uh, from Matt Nichols and the Bomber offense. Uh, the Bombers themselves could care less about that. All they want to do is win another game. And if they do, they'll be 7-2 and two at midseason of the 18-game schedule. And the last time, guys, they were 7-2 and two at midseason was 2011. And we know what happened that year. They went to the Grey Cup. So maybe there's an omen there. 
Well, Bob, I, I'm trying to connect the dots between BC and Winnipeg with our trivia questions to give away the tickets. And now you've made that other connection in BC and Winnipeg in the Grey Cup in 2011. But here's a statistic, and I didn't want to use it right now, but let's save it for tonight. But Matt Nichols won 300-yard passing game in his last 27 starts, yep. and the Blue Bombers, Janarian Grant, had over 300 return yards <laughs> last week in his very first game as a Blue Bomber. Yeah. Yeah, some people, I, I, I think you're doing a good job there in correlating the two of what people would like to see. What's it going to take for the Bombers to repeat what they did against Calgary versus repeating what they did against Toronto and losing to a winless team? I know BC has one win, but... Uh, for all intents and purposes, they, they they might as well be winless. Well, a number of the players said after that Toronto loss, in which they were up twenty to nothing and then lost the game twenty eight twenty seven, they said they simply lost focus when they got way ahead and the momentum shifted and they just could not do anything about it. So I think the key is, and Michael Shea says this all the time, is to reach you know maintain your focus, uh, carry out your assignments from start to finish like uh, your life depended on it. And if the Bombers do that, in theory, they should win the game. I would say this, though, Greg, the, the B.C. Lions played maybe their best game of the year last weekend against a tough Hamilton team in Hamilton, wound up losing 35-34. One of the reporters who covers the Lions called it a soul-crushing loss because they dominated the game in every single area. So I wouldn't sell this B.C. team short. Mike Riley had one of his best games of the year last week. They'll be coming in here desperate, hungry, and very loose, I would suggest. They've got everything to gain and nothing to lose at 1-7. and seven. So if the Bombers play their game, I think we all feel they should win if, you know, if they do things right. But, uh, boy, <laughs> I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't sell the Lions short. They're going to knock off somebody here before too long. Bob, what time does the coverage start? It starts at 5.30 with our pregame show. Uh, Jermarcus Hardrick, who's one of the Bomber offensive linemen, will explain a funny noise that Andrew Harris makes every time he carries the ball. And he does an unsolicited uh, explanation that Hardrick gave me, and it's quite uh, I think it's quite entertaining. Harris makes a, a sound when he approaches the line of scrimmage, and uh, Hardrick will explain that tonight on our pregame show. Does he do an impersonation of it? <laughs> yeah, he kind of, he sort of did, yeah. it's uh, Yeah, he did. Okay. <laughs> the man they call Yoshi, outing his teammates. Yeah, well... It's it's just funny. He he brought it up, like I say. I didn't ask him about it. He just brought it up out of nowhere. And it's uh, and he talks about his game day. He's got three little kids and what he does on game day to keep them under control so he can have his pregame nap. It's quite uh, quite funny. Bob Irving joining us live on CJOB. Thank you very much, Bob. And Greg will tell you, I was uh, went to see my barber, Joe, over at Tony's Barbershop in, on Regent Avenue in Transcona yesterday. Longtime season ticket holder. And I said, BC's coming in one and seven. And he said, I know. So... I'm curious to see which bomber team's going to show up tonight. So there's still that hesitation and that kind of nervousness out there that the bombers are going to face a team that they should beat and come up short. But as Bob said, don't count the Lions out. Bombers looking for their eighth straight victory at home dating back to last year. One of our listeners reached out and said the following on the subject of back to school. Lately, I've heard a lot of ads and interviews with tech guys or about tech. It seems to me everyone keeps talking about buying new 
some students have a lot on their plates. So spending a thousand bucks on a laptop is not always a good idea. So Rui Diaz from Nothing But Tech is here to show us the way to the better way, I guess. So Rui, first of all, good morning. Welcome. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. How long have you been listening to CJOB, by the way? All my life. Your whole life? Since I was a little boy. How old are you now? I'm 39. Right on, man. It's great to have you in the studio and great to talk to you because you've been interacting with uh, Mackling and McGarry since we were on in the afternoon. Loyal listeners, so it's always great. We always say a lot of our best stories come from listeners and points of view. So uh, this is just the conduit. We are the forum for discussion. And you bring up a really good point, let alone uh, the fact that new tech is expensive, the idea of reusing stuff that you might already have. How do we go about this? What's the, Are there any parameters in terms of a starting point? Is there any laptop that you could work with? Just- Pretty much anything. You can bring it in. Um, the sky's the limits on laptops. Majority of all laptops out there can be upgraded. The only thing in there that's slowing it down is the old technology in it, and that's the hard drive. Majority of the time, and maybe RAM too, but majority of the time, it's the hard drive. So, so RAM you, is a uh, random access memory. If yeah. my computer classes uh, taught me anything, it gives you the ability to do a lot more things at one time. So that's where you get the speed from. Yeah. Okay. Why Fantastic. does it slow down over time? Is it just wear and tear? Wear and tear, and then the hard drives that manufacturers put in there, they tend to be a little bit slower, like fifty-four hundred RPM versus seventy-two hundred RPM. So that makes it uh, heat up and then slow down. Eventually. Okay. Yeah, and then if you put more stuff on it read and write back and forth yeah, over time eventually will die okay so let's so i need a new laptop to i got to buy my kid a new laptop for school say i'm in that that position but i don't maybe have a thousand dollars or fifteen hundred dollars or two thousand dollars to get a new laptop i don't want i don't want to let my kid down by not getting something new but you're saying your way isn't is it necessarily a, a lesser step? It could be a better way. And you actually brought in a couple of hard drives to showcase that. And I put a video on our 680 CJOB Instagram. So what is a traditional hard drive look like? A, a traditional hard drive, it looks like it has like a, like a little CD inside of it. And it's like being red and it spins it really fast, right? Yeah. So um, that is what causes the slowdown because it's mechanically inclined. It has to be moved around and it has to find, find something. With the SSDs, it's a mechanic. Like, there's no mechanicals. It's just little chips like you would have in your flash drive that you have in your USB key type thing. And it's just memory chips. So there's no moving parts. It's just there. So you press that button. It's in Windows. You, pre- you open up your programs or emails. It's already there. It doesn't need to think and find it already. So you can you can take out an old hard drive from an existing computer yep. uh, that provided, say, that computer isn't beat up or whatever. And you can transfer all the stuff that's on it onto this new hard drive. And it's like you got a brand new computer. That's correct. For what kind of price are we talking? SSDs have dropped a lot. So an SSD, say a 240 gig, approximately about $44.99, and then say a $589.99. Yeah. And then, fi- and then some and then some cash to, to have it installed. Yeah, pretty much. <sighs> That's pretty good. Yeah, so and, when- then, and then and then a lot of people don't understand. Well, you can you can 500 gig hard drive or an SSD isn't very much space. And say that a lot of people want to download music or whatever they're doing. They can actually- first of all, it's funny to hear that. It's not 500 gigs isn't that much space because I remember when I bought my computer, I don't know, 15 years ago, I think it had 250 gigabytes and I I didn't know what to do with all that space. So my, my parents' previous computer, I think, had 50, no. 50 gigs. Yeah, that's both right. Yeah. And then like with that option, giving you, you can give it a 500 gig SSD 
And then if you want more space, you can take that CD-ROM drive that you never use on your laptop. You can put a hard drive in that spot. Oh, like for a secondary hard drive? You got it. So you can put a one terabyte and then all down, all your movies, everything goes there. And your SSD is just for your Windows and your programs and say your games if you play games. Because that's important too. So could that act as a backup? That's correct. Because that's one of the problems that I have with my old computer. It eventually died, and I didn't back the stuff up. And now I'm going to have to go see Rui and say, Rui, can you save the pictures? I have a video of my old dog, Dexter, that I want to see one more time. Yeah. And you, so it's important to have that backup. Absolutely. So when when people come to you then and do this, do they ever come back and say, hey, I'm really surprised at how well this is working? Oh, yeah, immediately. They can see the difference when I turn on the laptop at the front counter. Yeah. yeah, and do a lot of parents coming in like for back to school stuff. Like, is this a busy time of year for you? Absolutely, really. Yeah, I enjoy it. So I, I love analogies. So if obviously computer technology, it's that whole doubling of uh, potential memory over a certain amount of time, and that's been extrapolated and, and changed over the last decade or so. I'm just looking at that famous quote from Bill Gates where he said, no one will ever need more than 640K <laughs> worth of memory. Uh, that has not aged well. No. If it was a tweet, you'd be getting hashtag, this did not age well. But that is coming back. From, that's, that's 11 years ago already, back in 2008. That's ancient times. Yeah, it is. That's ancient times. So if I have a, a computer that's, say, 10 years old versus one that you juice up for me and change, is it like a 1960s car versus a 2020s car or what? If you want to put it in layman's term for cars, I can take your Chevette and make it to a Ferrari. There we go. Nice. Okay. Well said. Atta <laughs> boy. And so what the other components that are in this computer, like if you have a 10-year-old computer, uh, is there anything inside that won't be able to keep up? Sometimes. Some laptops will have a slower processor, and now that time we'll have to determine if if it's worth going that route. The majority of the time it isn't. So then at that point, would I would suggest either getting a new laptop or a refurbished laptop okay. with more juice in it. Um, but yeah, there are sometimes where you can't go that route, but majority of the time you can. Now, yeah. before I let you go, you mentioned the fact that touchscreen is the way a lot of people are starting to go, and you've got the laptops that combine the keyboard access and the touchscreen. Yeah, it's all very, very nice. But what is the drawback of the touchscreen, in your opinion? It breaks, and it's glass. Like a lot of these machines, that's the first thing that comes. A lot of clients that come in my shop, it's always because it's broken laptop screens or t- tablets or whatever. It's the one thing that you put in your backpack, there's pressure on it, it breaks, and it's the most expensive piece to replace, especially on a Microsoft Surface. Those are almost re- unreplaceable. They're glued completely down. Um, so it's really hard and expensive. So I, that's not one thing I would recommend to get, especially for students, unless they really, really need the touchscreen, but majority of the time you don't. Yeah, but how do you tell a young, how do you tell your child, your teenage yeah. child, uh, you know you can't have the coolest stuff? It is difficult, I'll be honest with you. But, you know, if you're going to university, you're paying a lot of money for everything else to get through school. Just, you, you want to get through school and then you can get your buy your toys after. That's what I would say. Rui Diaz with Nothing But Tech. Where is Nothing But Tech, by the way? It's on 1795 Main Street. Thank you so much for reaching out to us, Rui. Thanks for your loyal listenership and thanks for the great idea. I never would have thought. I didn't even realize that kind of a hard drive existed. And thank you very much, Rui. Thank you very much for having me. It was awesome. Oh, we're happy to have you, Rui. And the question of the day from yesterday morning and yesterday afternoon, which provincial election 
issue matters most to you. So we went with taxes, healthcare, crime, deficit, and infrastructure. That's how we listed it on the website, and that's actually the order in which they appeared. Uh, but then in the afternoon, they added one more issue, which was climate change, which ended up with 0.55% of the vote. Taxes leading the way at 40.56%. You can still cast your vote at cjob.com. Now, Rod Batista answered that question loud and clear. He tweeted it at me, tweeted it out yesterday, and here's what he said. This is to everyone running in this year's election. Come up with a real strategy for addiction and the drug epidemic. First step, give families a concrete framework to help their loved ones suffering. We need to have something in place to really tackle this disease. And he goes on to say, come up with policies that will result in a solid route for people who are trying to seek recovery to get the treatment they deserve. He goes on with several posts in a chain of posts. We wanted to bring Rod Batista. You can follow him on Twitter at Big Pappy Peg City. If you're okay with a little bit of salty, I call it honest language. Rod, good to speak to you again. Thanks for having me on again, guys. And I know you're on holiday, so you've uh, you're really uh, going the extra mile here to get your uh, vision for what needs to happen here. Uh, just really quick, Rod, uh, why is this so important to you? A lot of people know your story; some don't. Um, uh, just over a year ago, um, we lost um, my stepson Gabriel to uh, to suicide. He was uh, suffering through addiction for years, and um, it culminated with him um, taking his own life on July 29th of last year. So um, pretty much since then, we've been advocating for change because of the challenges that we faced as a family, um, trying to find him uh, recovery uh, at every point in turn. Um, there were windows where he, he wanted to get help and he wanted to get um, get into a treatment uh, program, but there were just way too many hoops to, to jump through and way too many uh, you know, way too long to wait. What kind of what kind of hoops? Well, first, um, you know, you, you call FM or any organization, and you know, there's there's a 30 day wait to to get a, a take appointment to assess what, what what's needed. Uh, once once you're accepted, uh, you need to go through uh, a detox program before you're you're entering into into a treatment program. And and, and number three, there really isn't a clear their path to any of that yeah you have to find it yourself you have to you have to go to the you know emergency room a couple times and be denied and uh you have to call all all the people who you think are 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 there to to help you only to be told that you know there there's a wait or or there's another thing you need to do before that so especially when your your child is you know over the age of 18 there really isn't anything you can do to to help help them through the way you're obviously not alone in this battle and and there are we can only guess how many people in Winnipeg and Manitoba who are battling addiction that would like help but are having an unanswered phone on the other end of the line or going to a clinic that has limited access and has limited hours of operation 
what would you like to see, Rod? I know you've educated yourself big time on this, and and um, I mean, uh, bless you for uh, taking Gabriel's death and and turning it into something positive for our whole community. What do you think it's going to take? What what should that what should a program or what should a system look like in terms of a parent who has a child, whether he's seventeen or nineteen, that comes to them and says, "Hey, mom, dad, today's the day. I, I got to get off this stuff." There needs to be something in place that if first with government and our, and our political leaders here, um, I've been to quite a few functions in the last year and, and, you know, you hear that people are doing their part, but it's not their jurisdiction to move forward or your healthcare isn't their jurisdiction or, or um, you know, the police force and, and the criminal element isn't part of their jurisdiction. But, you know, until, until governments get together and actually try to hash out exactly what hap- what's happening is going to change like this 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 epidemic this, this problem crosses all of it it's in every town it's in every city it's in every province it's all across the country and and truly if if change is going to be made it needs to start with the people in power and they, there needs to be a comprehensive look at as to what can be done because if this is the epidemic that everybody calls it and it is um you know they should take action on it. If it was any other epidemic of, of some sort that could be controlled, they'd be on it. They'd, they'd be on it, you know, weeks, months, years ago. Right. We've only got um, about thirty seconds here, Rod. Have you have you heard anything from our leaders thus far? You know, it's just 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 minor stuff. Like I mean, Palliser announcing more detox and and and, and another clinic isn't going to do anything. Like it's it's a little drop in the bucket. But and, until you take the step further and talk about you know, 30-day treatment or long-term treatment and, and accessibility to that and, and a real real pathway for, for people to find to find their loved ones' um, treatment and, and, and recovery. There, there isn't anything that's, that's going to be changed. Um, there's going to be still limited access to that one extra clinic. There's going to be limited access to even, even if they, they double the, the uh, detox beds in the city, there's still going to be a long way to, to get in and and, and to you know start recovery for, for addicts that are that are sick. Rod Batista, as always, a pleasure. Thanks for your passion. Thanks for your vision, and thanks for contributing to uh, the conversation as always. And thanks for continually supporting me and, uh, and letting me have a, an avenue to speak. Thanks, guys. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers began their 2019 schedule with a win over the BC Lions in Vancouver. And tonight at 7.30 at IG Field, exactly two months later to the day, the Bombers intend to wrap up the first half of the season in similar fashion with the victory over the Leos. Yeah, the Bombers are 6-2, and two, leading the CFL West, as you probably know by now. The Lions are 1-7 and seven and are in a desperate situation, according to star quarterback, Mike Riley. Realize we put ourselves in a very difficult position, you know, and that puts importance on every single game. I mean, every game is important, but I mean, we're literally basically playing our playoffs are starting now. <laughs> I mean, you never know what's going to happen, but no, I don't, I don't have any challenges of keeping hope alive in the sense of, you know, I'm just worried about playing against Winnipeg now. now surprisingly, the Blue Bombers, despite their first place standing have not been wrapped in a warm embrace by their fan base, especially the offense, which is still a work in progress from a consistency perspective. But quarterback Mac Nichols says the focus has to continue to be on doing whatever it takes for the W. And however that happens, you know, if, 
if I got to throw for 300 yards to win, that's that's what we'll do. If I got to throw for 120 yards and we win, that's what we'll do. You know, I I do not care about stats or anything like that besides racking up wins. Last week against Calgary, Nichols and the offense had to settle for three field goals and no touchdowns for the first time this season. But the Bombers came out on top of that first place showdown with the Stamps thanks to a history-making performance from newcomer Janarian Grant, who became the first ever Blue Bomber to return two punts for touchdowns in the same game. And the speedy as well as shifty return specialist says he does not plan on resting on his laurels after his 306-yard performance earned him recognition as a CFL top performer of the week. Uh, that's always been my motto. Um... I'm always that guy just, you know, just to make things happen for my team, whether we're up or down, any situation, you know, I'm just, you know, willing to put a team on my back as well as other guys on our team, you know, so um, I'm just ready. Doug and Bob always joke that there's one segment of the pregame show where it's sort of uh, reserved for heaping praise on Blue Bomber running back Andrew Harris. And I've often mentioned to you, Brett, that whenever Ed Tate and I do the halftime show, it's typically uh, what did Andrew Harris do in the first half? And if he's doing good things, how do we make sure he keeps doing those things in the second half? And if he's not getting the ball enough in the first half, what do the Bombers need to do to get him the ball more? One thing to watch for in terms of Harris and his incredible career, he's just 65 yards shy of becoming the CFL's all-time leader among Canadian-born players in career yards from scrimmage. When we talk about these milestones, I mean, it's a a, a great accomplishment. I appreciate it and enjoy it after. It's one of those things we don't be thinking of before the game, but uh, just focusing on each play and just doing the best you can to be successful. If you only feel with Andrew and you see three or four guys coming in, it's a, little, it's a couple noises he's starting making. I know that we're playing football, and it makes me want to get in there more. He, he Right before he hits the pile, he's like, <clears throat> like he makes that noise or whatever, and it lets me know he's all in. Was that the noise that Bob was talking about? I think it was. You want to play that again? Uh, you're good at. Can you uh, scan I mean, through I, there? Right, for the folks and just few guys coming in, it's a little. It's coming in real. If you only feel with Andrew and you see three or four guys coming in, it's a little. It's a couple noises he's starting making. I know that we're playing football, and it makes me want to get in there more. He, he right before he hits the pile, he's like, <clears throat> like he makes that noise or whatever. And, I tried to do it again, but I went too far. The man they call Yoshi, the always charismatic Jamarcus Hardrick, letting us in on some of the, shall we say, nuances that fans just can't hear enough about. And uh, as good as the microphone placement is on field level, that's not getting caught up unless Andrew Harris is mic'd up during the game. So uh, we'll bring you as close to the action as we can and uh, maybe a little bit further in the pregame show as we get ready for Lions and Bombers tonight. 7.30 kickoff, 5.30 coverage here on 680 CGOB. Bob Irving, Doug Brown, Ed Tate. I'm going to sneak my way in there. I just go and hang around the booth there. Oh, come on. Bob eventually lets me say a couple of things, and <laughs> and then uh, I get to uh, come back for the halftime show with Ed Tate. So, How does that go? Is that just like, so, uh, yeah, Greg, uh, what do you think? And yeah, then, pretty and then, much. And then he lets you talk for 10 seconds. And then, all right, thanks. Uh, thanks, Greg. Yeah, typically I do uh, seven hours of homework to get an obscure stat that Bob hasn't thought of yet, or at least that I think he hasn't. And inevitably, he has it on his list. But I do my best to try and find something that, that Bob and his cracked research staff couldn't possibly come up with. He, right before he hits the pile, he's like, <laughs> like he makes that noise. 
<laughs> I have to thank a, an anonymous donor in the CJOB newsroom for harvesting that particular clip. I just wanted to ask you on the subject of Andrew Harris, because I think it was two games ago where they went away from the run. He was playing well in the first half. And against they just, Toronto. And they went away from the run, and he was very careful with how he expressed his feelings on the matter, where he managed to express just how clear it was he was upset, but he didn't actually say anything that could really get him in trouble. So then last game, did they did they not go away from the run again? A tiny bit, but uh, Harris uh, was instrumental in the win last week. But you're right, that conversation, and it was very one-sided, at least part of it in the post-game show against Toronto, when Bob you know, says, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm going to, and essentially ran down the whole idea of moving away from Harris himself in that second half. And all Harris could really say was, uh, yeah, 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 I, I, I agree. <laughs> yeah, can't say anything more. He's going to get himself in trouble. Milt Stiegel was always good for that in the post games where he didn't care. Uh, I remember, I've got the clip somewhere, I'll dig it out, I've referenced this before, but he was mad at the refs, and instead of, of saying the refs were bad, he actually went the other way and said, no man, these refs, these, these are the best refs on earth, I, how could anybody ever complain about them? They're like robots, man. They <laughs> never make a they, mistake. They never make mistakes. The, the, the insinuation that they made a whole bunch of mistakes tonight is just garbage. So yeah, I've got that harvested somewhere because I'm a digital hoarder. But uh, yeah, we know Bo- we now we know uh, Bob Irving is a Hall of Fame broadcaster. Yep. Doug Brown is a Hall of Fame player. Yep. But is Trish the only one that hears the McKenzie brothers and whenever we say Bob and Doug with the bo- broadcast nope, tonight? I do every time. The McKenzie brothers. I always want to say good day, a takeoff, you hoser. I'm sure they get that a lot. Probably not funny for them anymore, but it's still funny for us and Trish. By now, you know that the Ethics Commissioner Mario Dion found Prime Minister Justin Trudeau broke the Conflict of Interest Act in a report released yesterday. Trudeau has refused to apologize about what happened despite the findings. Never mind what happened, his own conduct. Trudeau said he believed he had the responsibility to raise the potential for job losses at the company if it was forced to go through a criminal prosecution. Dion, though, had said since because any political public, pardon me, potential public interest in the case was intrinsically linked to the private interests of the company, Trudeau should not have waited in at all to argue for any particular considerations to be given more study. We could recap this entire story and then not have time for our guests. So we'll pause it there and welcome Professor Arthur Schaefer, founding director, Center for Professional and Applied Ethics at the University of Manitoba. Good morning, Professor Schaefer. Good morning, Brett and Greg. It's always great to get some time with you. We're honored to to have you on the show today. This whole question, well, I guess this whole report and this whole situation has so many layers to it. And the one that's jumping out for me, and and maybe you can help me uh, wrap my head around it, is this idea that SNC-Lavalin may have been involved in helping craft the new law that was buried in a budget uh, last uh, couple of years uh, to help them get out of this situation. That's the part I'm having the biggest problem with. 
Yeah, well, it sounds plausible to me. And I think what you'll find is that whether it's the tobacco industry, the food industry, big pharma, uh, the construction industry, when new laws are crafted, uh, the mining industry, fossil fuel industry, their, uh, their lobbyists, their officers and officials are all over Parliament Hill, or if it's America, they're all over Washington to lobby on behalf of the kind of legislation they want. So... Um, is it, um, does it make one a bit cynical, the power of uh, the, the tremendous influence exerted by those corporations with great wealth and power? Yes, it does. Uh, should we be surprised? No, it's how things are done, and it's shabby, but uh, scarcely unique. So is this an ethics breach? Is this a lawful or an unlawful act by the prime minister? How do we how do we unwrap this as a as a public? I know you're not going to tell us what to think, but how do you view it? Okay, so let me start by saying that uh, whether any laws were broken is a question for a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer, so uh, I won't express an opinion on whether anything illegal was done. But on the ethics of the matter. Uh, Well, you know, what I really want to say is it's incredibly messy. Uh, 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 Some of what Trudeau and his government and and his office did was uh, legitimate, proper, defensible. Uh, Some of what they did was uh, improper, unethical. Uh, I can understand why he refuses to apologize. Look, the background to this is that Virtually every major country, America, Britain, and so on, they've, they've got legislation of the same sort that we've now got. It's called deferred prosecution. And the essence of it is this. These big international firms pay bribes in Nigeria, and they pay bribes all over the world. And within the case of SNC-Lavalin, they pay bribes in Montreal. So the inter, to be internationally competitive on these multi-billion dollar contracts, everybody's bribing corrupt officials in Saudi Arabia, Nigeria, and so on. And when they're caught, if they're convicted of bribery, because it's now domestic Canadian, British, American law now says that if you bribe people abroad, it's a crime here, they're guilty of a crime. Once they're convicted of a crime, they're no longer eligible for contracts. They're not eligible for for international uh, uh, international bank contracts. They're not a, they're not eligible even to bid on Canadian government contracts, which means the end of the company. So it's a kind of uh, capital offense. They, they their heads get chopped off. And the reason these other countries have passed uh, deferred prosecution legislation is so that. Uh, if the companies say they're sorry, if they reform themselves, if they pay massive fines, they'll, they won't formally be convicted and they won't be put out of business. So our competitors have done it, and the Canadian government did it after lobbying from SNC-Lavalin. Uh, was that legitimate? Well, I, I wish none of them had these agreements, but given that the others do, why, why should Canadian companies go to the wall? And thou- I mean, when Trudeau says, my res- Trudeau is saying about himself, my responsibility as prime minister is to protect jobs. Thousands of jobs are at stake, more in Quebec than elsewhere, but an equal number across the rest of the country. So 
rather than put the company out of business, I mean, what should really happen is that the people involved in setting the policy and paying the bribes and so on, they should go to prison. They should be charged individually rather than putting the company out of business and punishing the workers and the suppliers and, and the entire economy. So that hasn't happened. Maybe that's what we should be pushing for. But given the reality, I think Trudeau's right. I think it was legitimate to pass the legislation. And I think it was legitimate to say to the Attorney General, hey, Ms. Wilson-Raybould, have you really taken into account what a criminal, the Director of Public Prosecutions was saying, we're going to prosecute them with a criminal offense since the company is clearly guilty they would have been convicted and that would have been the end of essence maybe it would have been bought by a new york firm or a london firm that might not be you know having the head office in new york might not be great for for canada so i think it was legitimate to bring it up i think it was legitimate for the minister of finance to bring it up Uh, i don't see that as a conflict of interest at all it is his legitimate duty, it's his obligation, it's the government's obligation to protect jobs. So up to that point, I'm with Trudeau. I think I, 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 to, to that kind of lobbying or that kind of influence seeking on the part of the prime minister and his uh, top officials, I think was legitimate. And I would have sacked her too for, for, for automatically going along. She had an option. And the deferred prosecution agreement is the option that other countries are taking, and it would have saved thousands of Canadian jobs. And if she'd been less stubborn, wiser, whatever, she would have listened to the advice and would at least seriously have considered overriding the director of public prosecution. So that's the first part. Now, the second part of my analysis, he is guilty of conflict of interest because when he was talking to her, instead of saying, think about the jobs, what he said was, we've got an election coming up in Quebec, and then pretty soon in Canada, and hey, I'm the member of parliament for Papineau. So if he's arguing uh, on behalf of the public interest in saving jobs, I think that's, that's his obligation. It's legitimate, and it's legitimate to ask her to take jobs and the well-being of the country into account. It's not legitimate for him to ask the Attorney General to take into account the interests of the Liberal Party or the interests of the Prime Minister as a member of Parliament. So uh, on the main charge, I think he did fine. I think he did what any politician should have done, which is urge the the Attorney General and Minister of Justice, Ms. Wilson-Raybould, to consider the implication. On the other hand, the grounds on which he did it Look as if they're self-serving. He was he was biased on behalf of his own. But then, hey, uh, we've got an election in Manitoba. Does any does anyone think that what Mr. Pallister is doing isn't is entirely with a view to the public interest and not to getting himself reelected? So there's a conflict there. And Trudeau was crass and insensitive and not very bright. And he said what shouldn't have been said. It was kind of obvious. He wants. He wants to save jobs, but part of the reason he wants to save jobs is not because he loves the workers, but because he wants to be reelected. And he said that, and that makes it a conflict of interest. One of the jobs was his. One of the jobs was his, yes, exactly. Nicely put. So what happens then? The Ethics Commissioner has made this ruling. What happens now? Nothing happens now. There are no penalties. He won't go to prison. He won't pay a fine. Uh, There won't be a trial. Uh, what will happen is we'll have an election and the people of Canada will decide whether 
this issue matters to them, uh, whether it's salient, whether it's, uh, I mean, and if people are influenced, if they sense that the government is corrupt, but hey, this wasn't a case of lining their own pocket. It was a case of trying to promote their own political interest, but is there anyone in Canada who doesn't think that that's what politicians do on a regular basis? They just, they usually don't talk about it. They talk about the public interest rather than their interest as politicians. So you, the audience listening to this show, you get to decide whether this is important and how important it is and, and whether it'll influence your, uh, your vote. Um, May I just sort of tag on as a kind of footnote? There was a much more blatant conflict of interest uh, involving our prime minister. He, his wife, his pal, Mm -hmm. uh, family uh, accepted uh, uh, helicopter rides and expenses paid vacation on the island uh, of the Aga Khan. Okay, okay. I don't think he should have done that, by the way. But he then subsequently sat in a committee that decided to give millions of dollars to the Aga Khan Foundation. Now, I think he's either not very bright or he's got a, a, when it comes to ethics, he's got a tin ear. I mean, even if he didn't care about the danger of his being biased and didn't he should have seen the need to recuse himself look even if he doesn't care about the ethics it looked terrible sure it looks terrible to accept a free vacation and then to be participating and have everyone know you're closely associated well of course the Aga Khan foundation is going to get these millions <laughs> of dollars and i don't think he gets it yeah which is uh, but hey, uh, how important is that to your vote? You'll have to ask yourself. But that was a clear-cut case of him benefiting personally in circumstances where he was a decision-maker and had an obligation to exercise his judgment impartially, dispassionately, uh, without a vested interest, and he had a vested interest, and he didn't see it. So that, to me, was much clearer than the SNC-Lavalin case, where... Crikey, that's, I, I see that as perfectly legitimate. Why put our companies out of business? We've passed this legislation. Yeah, sure, the company lobbied for it, but every piece of legislation in Canada is the subject of lobbying. And often the, you know, the tobacco industry or the oil industry, they'll write the legislation and our passive, I mean, they want, the politicians want donations from the develop, you know, if it's city sure. council, they want the developers to give them. If it's our provincial government, he wants the insurance agents to give him money, and he's interfering. God, that was really blatant. I think Pallister's <laughs> conflict with the with the insurance agent. Now he doesn't stand to line his own pocket, but he's got an obligation to the people of Manitoba and uh, tens of millions of dollars that could have reduced uh, uh, people's. Uh, uh, auto pack premiums were put into the pocket of the of the private insurance industry. Professor uh, Schaefer, we got to jump in. I would never <laughs> do this in class, but I, I'm going to have to tell you that our time is up. Oh, it happens in class too. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Arthur Schaefer, founding director, Center for Professional and Applied Ethics at the University of Manitoba, joining us live on 680 CJOB. And this just coming across a wire now. Trudeau in Fredericton is repeating what's sure to be his go-to election campaign message on the SNC-Lavalin affair. He's not about to apologize for what he calls standing up for Canadian jobs, communities and citizens. 
Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.